Are you ready for God's word? Amen. Me too. Well, we are on week three of our journey in this series called Paths, making well-worn paths for life in Christ. And we've been playing off the imagery from the book of Proverbs, specifically in chapter four. And so again, you know the drill at this point, we're going to read the same verses again in hopes that they will just get hid really deep into our hearts. So I'm going to invite you to stand in honor of reading God's word this morning. And we're going to read Proverbs 4, verses 25 through 27. And I'm going to invite you to read this aloud with me this morning. Hear the word of our Lord, church. Look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on the safe path. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. Word of our Lord, you can be seated. I love all the language in that proverb, and I think of it often because it's got such good language to help me anchor my habits to the way of Jesus, right? Mark out a straight path for your feet. How else do we do that other than with our path-making practices and habits that are leading us in the way of Jesus? So I'm going to show you this image again of our wagon wheel tracks just to keep that concept in the deep recesses of our minds that our goal in life is not to dig ruts, but to dig well-worn paths that lead to life in Christ so that when we might be lured by things that are not of God away from the path, what happens is we very naturally thunk in the very best way right back into those well-worn paths for life in Christ because our habits and our practices are pulling us into the way of King Jesus. So we've been recognizing that we all have well-worn paths in life. And so we have to ask ourselves, how are these paths shaping me? Are they ruts or are they well-worn paths for life in Christ? We've been anchoring ourselves to this principle that from the beginning, God has been shaping and forming a people after his own heart. All of the story of scripture, we we see God building this family of faith and shaping and forming them in a way that mirrors his heart to the world. We also notice that from the beginning, God has been doing that. God has been shaping and forming a people through the corporate and individual practices or rituals aimed at pointing them toward God. And so that's what we're thinking about, is what are those things in our church in our lives both together and in our individual lives that are shaping and forming us. We've been also using the language of Paul in Colossians chapter 3. Let me read it to you again. It says this. Hear the word of our Lord. Take off the old human nature with its what, church? 
practices and put on the new nature which is renewed in knowledge by conforming to the image of the one who created it. We summarize that concept by saying this, ditch old practices that led to old ways and establish new practices that lead to new ways. And we've recognized that that is the aim of the gathered body of Christ. That is the aim of church. That once a week, we are regularly coming together in this rhythmic way to together ditch our old practices and put on new practices so that we might be shaped in a new way. So here we are. Every day, we are either digging ruts or we are creating well-worn paths for life in Christ. And my hope as your pastor is that together we might help one another build those well-worn paths. That first week we talked about how liturgy is everywhere. The things that we see and say and do over and over again is everywhere in our lives and it's shaping and forming us in both secular and sacred spaces. And liturgy is path-making. Those things, again, that we say, see, and hear over and over again, those things are doing something to us. And so week one, we talked about being aware of the liturgies in our lives, the things that we say, see, and hear that are on repeat that are doing something to us. Last week, we talked about church, the gathered body, the act of coming together week after week, that that is a path-making practice. We looked at the beginning of the book of Acts and noticed that through the power of the Holy Spirit, our together life bears witness to the crucified and resurrected Jesus. And we noticed that in the, in the early church, they were devoted to these four things, and these four things helped shape and form them in the way of King Jesus. As the early church, they were learning new habits and new ways of thinking together. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, that posture of learning together. They were devoted to fellowship, which is beyond church potlucks. It's about sharing everything, life and stuff, together. They were devoted to sharing in meals. And so what, what we learned about that is that they were committed to life, relational life around the table, the table of grace, the body and blood of our Lord, the Lord's Supper, and a table around the intimacy of a shared meal, and then finally, we noticed that they were devoted to the prayers, which we recognized was that they were submitted to these rhythms of worship in their lives. We asked the question, what makes the gathered body of Christ different from other gatherings, from all your favorite restaurants where you gather around a shared meal, right? What makes this different? It's what we're gathered around. Amen, church? that we are gathered around King Jesus. And so we defined church this way, the regular gathering of a people who together build habits and practices that orient our together lives to the ways of the kingdom of God. And so that's what we're doing today. 
gathering to build our lives together around the kingdom of God. So at this point, I wanted to make a little side note just to let you know that the whole point of this month, this series that we're in, is we're laying some groundwork for the next year. We're, we're laying some groundwork that will hopefully build a strong foundation for our ongoing conversations as a church that'll happen as we journey together, as we aim week after week to learn new ways of living and being together. And don't you know that never stops? You never age out of habits and practices that shape you in the way of King Jesus. Both by time you've been devoted to the Lord or like your literal physical age. We never age out of that. And so it's this ongoing commitment and conversation of the church to lean into the habits and practices of the kingdom of God. So let's talk about some more. Are you awake? Oh, good, good. Just checking. So today, I want to go on a journey a little bit through the Old Testament, and we're going to notice a path-making pattern in the Old Testament, because I think we can learn something from this path-making pattern that Yahweh, with the, the people of God, was laying out during that time. We're going to go to the book of Exodus chapter 12, and we're going to read verses 14 through 17. You can follow along on the screen. Hear the word of our Lord. Yahweh said this to the people of God, This is a day to remember. Each year, from generation to generation, you must celebrate it as a special festival to the Lord. This is a law for all time. For seven days, the bread you eat must be made without yeast. On the first day of the festival, remove every trace of yeast from your homes. Anyone who eats bread made with yeast during the seven days of the festival will be cut off from the community of Israel. Verse 16, on the first day of the festival, and again on the seventh day, all the people must observe an official day for holy assembly. No work of any kind may be done on these days except for the preparation of food. Celebrate this festival of unleavened bread, for it will remind you that I brought your forces out of the land of Egypt on this very day. This festival will be a permanent law for you. Celebrate this day from generation to generation. And so we we see this Rhythmic reminder for the people of God that was tied to their calendar and it was served to remind them of God's provision, God's deliverance, God's rescue. Did you notice that? It was a thing on the calendar that they were called to do so that they wouldn't forget, right? But there's more. Listen as we go on. We're going to look at Exodus 12 starting in verse 24. It says this about the same festival. Remember, these instructions are a permanent law that you and your descendants must observe forever. When you enter the land the Lord has promised to give you, you will continue to observe this ceremony. Then, this is it, lean in church, then your children will ask, why in the world are we still doing this? What does this ceremony mean? And you will reply, 
It is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord, for he passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt, and though he struck the Egyptians, he spared our families. When Moses had finished speaking, all the people bowed down to the ground and worshipped. Did you notice the why? It was a rhythmic reminder tied to their calendar that was passed down from generation to generation. And God's call was this, tell my story over and over and over again. Tell my story. And then God kept up with this pattern, the best book in the Bible, we're going to go to Leviticus, 23, if you've read Leviticus, you might get that joke. But look at this, another example. Then the Lord said to Moses, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. When you enter the land I am giving you and you harvest its first crops, bring the priest a bundle of grain from the first cutting of your grain harvest. So, Another rhythmic reminder, they called this the festival of first fruits, and it was a rhythmic reminder tied to their agricultural calendar of God's provision and blessing. Every time throughout the year that you do this thing, I want you to do this other thing that's meant to remind you that all of this is a blessing from me is a rhythmic reminder tied to their calendar aimed at telling God's story over and over again. But God does it again. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 16, starting in verse 9. Yahweh said this to the people, count off seven weeks from when you first begin to cut the grain at the time of harvest. Then celebrate the festival of harvest to honor the Lord your God. Bring him a voluntary offering in proportion to the blessings you have received from him. This is a time to celebrate before the Lord your God at the designated place of worship he will choose for his name to be honored. Celebrate with your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, the Levites from your towns, and the foreigners, orphans, and widows who live among you. Can we just pause and recognize how edgy God was? Bring your sons and daughters. Oh, and also your servants who have no place in your society. Oh, and the foreigners and those other people that everybody else tells you to cast out, they're all invited to the party. Praise God. Verse 12 says this, Remember that you were once slaves in Egypt, so be careful to obey all these decrees. This was called the Festival of Weeks, or Pentecost, which later has some important significance. But again, church, it was a rhythmic reminder tied to their agricultural calendar that was, would serve as a reminder from generation to generation of God's provision and blessing. But wait, there's more. But really, all throughout the Old Testament, you see 
these things that Yahweh was calling the people into on a rhythmic basis to remember the things of God, to remember God's story and to pass God's story on. There was Purim in, in Esther. There was the Feast of Trumpets. There was the Day of Atonement. There was a Feast of Booths. It was like God was saying this to the people. Mark time by God's story so that you might be marked by God's story. Mark time by God's story so that you might be marked by God's story. God is so smart. He's like, I'm going to give you this everyday thing that you got to do. You got to keep track of time, right? You got to know what day it is. And so why don't we use this very basic, essential, elemental thing that everybody in the world is going to do and let's use it so that you might live my story and be shaped and formed in the way of Jesus. He's brilliant, really. You know, the United States gets this. They get that if they tie things rhythmically to the calendar, we will remember a story. You ready for a quiz? Oh, yeah. Okay, here we go. I'm going to give you a date. You tell me what we're celebrating. Easy one. July 4th. I knew I could count on you, Teacher Joe. Okay, I got, I got more. January 1st. Okay, a little bit harder. The last Monday in May. What are we celebrating on Memorial Day? You got it, you got it. Okay. The fourth Thursday in November. What story are we telling? Pilgrims. Turkey, boat, absolutely. Third Monday in February. What story are we telling? George Washington is awesome, right? November 11th. Are you laughing at me? Okay. <laughs> Sorry, November 11th. What are we celebrating? What story are we telling? War. People died, and we celebrate and we honor them. Amen? But that's a story we're telling, that we're living into. Here's a really hard one. Ready? Second Monday in October. Columbus Day, what story are we telling, David Todd? <laughs> Good. This discovery of America. Church? Y'all aced it. So, they're doing something right. We are living into the story of the United States of America. We are marking time by it. We are enjoying days off to honor it. Boy, howdy, church. We will Sabbath for Independence Day, but will we Sabbath for the Lord? 
Heck no. Forgive my language. We throw parties, right? Fourth of July is my favorite holiday, except Christmas. All good things. Stories that we should celebrate. But even more so, the story of God. Even more so should our calendar be marked by God's story so that we are marked by that story. So today, church, our calendar is path-making. Our calendar, this seemingly unassuming thing, is path-making. It's marking us. The things that we mark time with are marking us. And that's a great thing. So, shall we also intentionally mark time with God's story? Think back to the calendar based on God's story that we saw unfolding in the Old Testament. God, over time, was inviting his people to live in this rhythm marked by time where they were consistently reminded of God's provision, where they'd been, what God had delivered them from, their need for God, the blessings that they had received, and on and on and on and on and on. All of these feasts and festivals served as corporate reminders that told a generational story that the people of God were passing down. And so the church, the church, as we moved on in time and and Christ came and died and was resurrected, in an attempt to carry on this pattern under the reign and story of King Jesus, developed this thing called the Christian calendar. I used to think this stuff was crazy. And the more I aim to follow King Jesus, the more I'm like, actually, I think that's brilliant. So so the church many years ago, looking back on, on the way that God was shaping and forming a people through the rhythm of their calendar, the church very early on developed this thing called the Christian calendar. Some people call it the church calendar. Some people call it the liturgical calendar. But nonetheless, it was this thing that they used. I'm not quite there, but I'm getting close. So appropriately, we are approaching the beginning of the church year, the start of the story. And isn't it interesting? We start our year on January 1, but the church starts their year when? Advent, oriented to the birth of Jesus. Doesn't that just make sense? I mean, when something makes sense, you just celebrate it. That makes sense. So we are approaching the beginning of the Christian calendar. And so today, church, I I just want to remind us to think this way. This is in your notes. The Christian calendar serves as corporate reminders that tell a generational story. 
Just like we saw in the Old Testament, what the church has done today, this gift of a calendar serves as corporate reminders to us to tell the generational story that we aim to tell year after year after year. So together, as the people of God who are aiming to follow the way of King Jesus, the silly little calendar that thing that we all check a bazillion times a day can actually help us remember God's story and it can help us pass on God's story from generation to generation so that we might be shaped and formed by God's story. Perhaps we might be marked by God's story as we mark time by God's story. So let me give you a little crash course. That's what I was looking for. Had to go through my Rolodex. Crash course. Because I was clueless to this until 10-ish years ago. So why has the church historically felt important enough that we mark time by these elements of God's story? Well, let me show you this image. This is a tool created by the church. And you'll notice on the top half, this represents December through June. December through June, and this is when we live into the story of Jesus. And then you'll notice on the bottom half is June to December. They call this ordinary time. And this is our story as we together learn to follow Jesus in the ordinary, everyday life. So there's another picture. I want to unpack a little bit what's on that first arc, that December to June arc. The first season that we'll enter is Advent where we learn to be a people who can wait with hope. Y'all, don't you know that's important? As we wait and wonder where God is sometimes, the season of Advent, year after year, reminds us that we are a people who wait and anticipate with hope. And then Christmas, did you know that the 12 days of Christmas is a church thing, not a secular thing? Did you know that it starts on Christmas and goes for 12 days? So if you take your Christmas stuff down before it's done, I'm, I'm coming at you. Just kidding. But Christmas is these 12 days where we remember God with us. Emmanuel, God came and is here. And you just can't do that in one day. You need 12 every year. And then there's the season of epiphany. <clears throat> and it's God revealed through the life of Jesus, where we look at these uh, profound stories of Jesus that reveal who God is, and we live into those stories year after year after year. Then we have Lent, the journey to Jerusalem, the journey to the cross, where every year we're reminded that we must confess our sins and we need a savior, amen? And then Easter, praise God, glory, hallelujah, he is risen. He is risen indeed, where we live into and celebrate the resurrected life of the church. Then we have Pentecost, the season of Pentecost, where we remember the ascension of Christ, 
And the meaning of that, that Christ sits at the right hand of the Father and advocates for us, and we celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit, which enlivens the church. December to June, living the story of Jesus. June to December, learning as the people of God how to live the story of Jesus in our ordinary lives. So together, we have this very tangible tool accessible to all of us to help us live into God's story and be shaped and formed in the way of King Jesus. Now, I want today to be practical. I want us to think about some practical ways that we can live into Advent corporately. Our our together lives, as we go through the month of December, will be oriented around this theme of anticipating Christ. The themes of hope and joy and peace and love. So I have to ask you, in your homes, how will you mark time during Advent by the sacred season, which is meant to help us learn to anticipate all the good things of Christ when we're surrounded by the secular, how will you in your homes mark your time by the themes of Christ? You know Advent countdowns? I had no clue what they were as a kid. You know you like open the little thing and you get chocolate? Did you know that's a Jesus thing? And commercialism, the marketplace just got smart and we're like... We can make lots of money off this concept. The whole point of that countdown from December 1st to December 25th is training us to anticipate the moves of God. And so for 25 days, we count down as the people of God to the revival of God's biggest miracle of all time, the birth of King Jesus. So as the secular counts down to Christmas, or to Santa, the church is counting down to the story of God awaiting the arrival of Jesus. I want to show you just for funsies what the Hall Home, that's us, is trying this year. This is available on lifeway.com. They are not paying me to advertise this for them. But it's this really cool Advent countdown that has nothing to do with chocolate or gifts has everything to do with the story of God. And so each day you line up the numbers and each day you move the star closer to Bethlehem and each day you open the book and read the coordinating story and what happens is in 25 days you get the whole story of God. If you want to buy it, lifeway.com. I think it was like 40 bucks. Kind of expensive, but also really worth it. Because we're going to use this every year to shape and form our lives around the story of Jesus and not the countdown to Santa. So for us, that's our attempt to make the primary story of December about the arrival of Jesus. So how will you do that in your homes? Whether you have kids or you don't have kids, you're still being shaped and formed into the way of Jesus, so it still matters. I have a single friend in in Oregon. She's my very best friend from our time there. She's in her 50s and she's single. She bought that, the Advent blocks. She was like, I need that. It's like, you are goals, yes. 
And she has an Advent wreath in her home that every Saturday night to prepare her heart for church on Sunday, by herself, she sits and lights a candle. Because even though she's one person in her home, she knows she's being shaped and formed in the story of God. So together we can use the calendar as a tool to shape our homes, our church, around the story of Jesus. Church, our calendar is path-making. And if you don't believe that's true, I'll talk to you when all of life is closed on the next major U.S. holiday. <laughs> kind of teasing and also serious. Pastor Bo is actually going to preach next week and is going to expand on this concept of how the calendar shapes our life with Jesus. So church, as we're wrapping up today, if the things that we see, say, and hear are pathmaking, our commitment to you at Bentonville Community Church is that we will be thoughtful about that which we invite you to see, say, and hear with us. We will be mindful of the liturgies that we place before you. If church, the act of gathering as the people of God, is a path-making practice, our commitment to you at Bentonville Community Church is to be thoughtful about that which, which we do as a church. So if you come, we will prayerfully prepare. And if the calendar is a path-making practice, our commitment to you at Bentonville Community Church is to lead in the act of ordering our lives around God's story in creative ways. That's what I can commit to you. That together, as we faithfully follow the way of Jesus, we'll be intentional and prayerful about that which we see and say and hear, the liturgies that we partake in. We'll prayerfully make sure church is not just a social gathering but it is a formative act of faith that we do together week after week after week. And we will order our lives not around the secular schedule of the kingdom of the world, but around the sacred schedule of the kingdom of God. I'm going to invite the, the worship team to join me as we go into a time of reflection and so as we think about another path-making practice, I think we have to think about this. <clears throat> what story is your calendar telling? What story is your calendar telling? The things that are celebrated, the things that get space and time, it's telling us something about that which we love. And so our calendars our path-making. One of the hardest things, I think this is relatable, so I'll share this. One of the hardest things of motherhood, parenthood, is that I really, really, really love my daughter. And I really, really, really love my church. I really love my job. And those things don't always go well together. So I've had to be really diligent about my calendar and how I order my calendar so that what is being shaped and formed in my little girl is that mommy loves 
her so much. And together, we love the church. So our calendar has to tell that story. And so while, while my girl is little, I will put her to bed at night. Amen? That's why sometimes I do 6 a.m. meetings and not 6 p.m. meetings. You know what I'm saying? Because my calendar is telling a story to my daughter. So what story is your calendar telling? And together, may we make sure that it's telling God's story and not an alternative story. May we, as the people of God at Bentonville Community Church, mark time by God's story that we might be forever marked by God's story. Amen? Would you stand with me? I just want to make space for us to reflect on this. Honestly, this is something that convicts me deeply. Deeply convicts me as I think about how I order my time in a way that shapes and forms me in the way of King Jesus. So I really want to make space today for us to be thoughtful. So the altars are open. If you want to kneel and just kind of lay it all before the Lord, let's make space to get honest with God and ask him to lead us in ways forward. God, with open hands, we say, come. We know you're here And so saying that is really just me saying, I want to get out of the way and let you move. So would you come? Speak to us in the quietness, in the stillness of these moments of worship. Would you show us the really tangible ways in which something so small but so real like a calendar is shaping us? And show us how together as the people of God and individually in our homes, we might mark time by your story so that we might forever be marked by your story. Have your way. In the mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen.